Who's heard of the gospel? Who knows that it's not singular? There are actually four of them. No, nobody knows that. Oh, yes, you do. Good. Just checking. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the shortest one. And you will be happy to know we're not looking at all of it, even though it is the shortest one. It's the Gospel of Mark. And we, I started last week, I told the story, remember, of John the Baptist? This is yes, this is no. Um, can everybody just say yes? Yes. Good, just checking your vocal cords are all working. And so I talked about the fact that John the Baptist was the, the precursor, the, the, the one before Jesus Christ, and he pointed to Jesus. And I really like the fact that Jesus was a, a no-nonsense sort of person, and Mark, in his gospel, is a no-nonsense gospel writer. And I, I want to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, because this is, this, these are some of the most ridiculous verses in the Bible. And it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, now, only the Jews called it the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake. About 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, it's a lake. The Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, whom he later called Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they said, Get stuffed. No, they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to imagine a scenario where some stranger wanders along the beach, past a bunch of fishermen and says, You, you, you. Follow me. And they immediately drop everything they're doing and say, yep, not a problem, we're with you. And off they go. And they become disciples. And yet, they did. And you sort of think, were they really bored? Did they hate being fishermen that much? That any opportunity that came along, they were, they were going to rush out and say, yep, take me, take me. Or was there something different going on here? And... So the question we want to ask is, what made these fishermen leave everything and follow Jesus? And while you're wondering about that, you need to ask yourself the question, what makes you want to follow somebody? What has to happen before you are prepared to follow somebody and do things you may not normally do to give up things that may be the norm in your life, the thing that you're comfortable with to follow someone and, and some of those answers are obvious you need to follow somebody who's authentic the real deal who is authorized to actually lead you somewhere where that authority comes from can vary but if you feel comfortable that they have the required authority to lead you you will follow them is that is that pretty much it you've got that you've got they've got to have something which you trust and so mark has started his gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't say this is the gospel of Jesus and later on you'll find out who he might be. 
He said straight off the bat, this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So there. And so having made such a bold statement, Mark then starts to tell us why he believes this is true. He, he, Mark assembles evidence. He, he has this revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he's written his gospel so that you get what he's got. He wants to get that revelation into your hearts. And so he, he, he's a dot point person. He says, statement A, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Dot point one. He's got to be authorised. So, first of all, he goes to the highest authority he can think, and he says, look, Jesus was authenticated by God. Can't get any higher than that. And so he, he says, Mark, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, tells the story of Jesus being baptised. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptised him in the Jordan River. Sounds normal so far. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. Now, you think, well, okay. God obviously believed that Jesus was his son and came out and said so. And the thing is that it wasn't, he wasn't alone in the wilderness. Hundreds of people saw that happen. So they actually saw that God himself, the Father had sent his spirit down like a dove and the heavens had opened and God had actually said, this is my son. It's a bit, hard, it's a bit like me standing over here and saying, this is my son. You sort of, it's like, he is. And he is because he looks like me, and, and I said so. We could do, we could ask his mother. We could do DNA tests. There's all sorts of things we could do. But the thing is that when it comes to eyewitness account, God is the highest authority you can go to. And so, first of all, he says, Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, because God said so. But Mark's not stupid. He says, some of you are cynics. That's just not going to be enough. And God might have said so, but what if you weren't there? I mean, Nick was on holidays. He, he, he wasn't down at the Jordan when God spoke. And so he's saying, yeah, I don't know. They're, everybody's saying that God did this, but I, I didn't see it. And so what happens next is that we see that Jesus is authenticated by the power of God that he demonstrates. Now, before we go there, let, let's back up a bit. And let's, let's, let's go back to this disciples business. You know, all these fishermen suddenly wa walking away from their nets. It's not mentioned in Mark's gospel, but I've just said there were four of them, so there's three others. And in those other three, and especially in John, we actually discover there's a backstory to this that Mark has no interest in showing you because he thinks it's, it's not exciting. It, and it doesn't fit into a dot point, so he's, he's ignored that. But we know that they had had ex previous experience with John the Baptist and they actually had already had an experience with Jesus and they recognised him as the Messiah. So he wasn't actually a stranger walking along the beach. They knew who he was and they knew the power that he had and they actually were honoured and privileged when he said, come, follow me. 
because they already knew, they already believed, they already had been, Jesus had been authenticated in their sight from their personal experience. Now, large numbers of people had witnessed God's authentication of Jesus, but not everybody was going to be a witness to the miracles that he performed. So the first job of the disciples was actually to be witnesses to the miracles of Jesus. And so, Mark 1.21, Jesus and his companions went into the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Now, what we've got to recognize here is that Jesus walks into this synagogue and starts preaching and teaching with authority. And it says the people were amazed. Notice it doesn't say the people believed him. The word amazed here actually speaks more of cynicism. It's like, this guy's got up in the synagogue and he's preaching with authority. Who does he think he is? You know, all the other people who teach us, their authority comes from talking about other people. The rabbis would get up and said, would talk about how you know, long ago Abraham said this about God and therefore we think that because we liked Abraham that what he said might be true. They didn't come out and say, I am, I am a speaker for God. I have met the Almighty. I, I am filled with his spirit. Therefore, I speak with the power and the authority of God. None of them said that. But Jesus did. And so it's like, who is this upstart? And so he gets up, preaches with authority, but nobody's believing it until this man with the, the demon speaks out and he banishes the demon. Then their amazement talks, well, this guy perhaps isn't an upset. His authority is real because even evil spirits obey what he is teaching. And so they hadn't seen Jesus authenticated by God. But suddenly they saw that the power of God was actually working in him. It wasn't just something that he talked about. It was something that he did. And this continues, continued on because he kept healing people. Um, I mean, the, the amazing miracle is he went to Simon's house. Oh, hang on, let me just check. Was it Simon's house? Yes, Simon and Andrew's house. And healed his mother-in-law. <laughs> that is a miracle. Perhaps mother-in-law jokes are out of date these days. But, but he, he helped Simon's mother-in-law. He went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and she was well enough to cook them a meal. I suspect there might have been an ulterior motive with that miracle. But it says, that evening after sunset, many... And this is Mark uh, 1, 29 to 34. Uh, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Now, what's happened here is that the disciples have started off as 
the witnesses. They witnessed Simon's mother-in-law being healed. But then the whole town came and sat at the door and witnessed countless people being healed and countless uh, evil spirits being cast out. So what Mark is doing here is he's showing us that there was a crowd of witnesses. That what he's telling us in his gospel is not just an isolated event, not just something he's made up, not just a, a theory that he's proposing. But he's gathering the evidence to say Jesus was authenticated by God. And then he gathered witnesses around him and he was authenticated by the power of God that he demonstrated. Interestingly, if we back up a bit in verse 35, we get into our first insight into the habits that kept Jesus strong and the vision that drove him. And we also saw, see, the fourth way he was authenticated. Now you're saying... You haven't told us the third way yet. I'm getting to that. Something, the third thing he was authenticated by is not power. It's not witnessed by God. But it's something that God shows us that we often forget about. Jesus acted with compassion. And it can get lost. It's, it's all part of the healing. But Mark 1.40 says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed if you are willing you can heal me and make me clean he said see he 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 didn't know about the power he didn't know about the authentication with god he pleaded with jesus because he desperately wanted to be healed and it says jesus was moved with compassion he reached out and touched him i am willing he said be healed Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And we see repeatedly throughout the Gospels the fact that not only did Jesus just exhibit the power of God, but he exhibited the love of God in that power. Sometimes that's a lesson we forget. That it's not the power of God that is necessarily the thing that we should crave. It's actually to show the love of God that people respond to far more. So what's the fourth thing? What's the fourth sign? What, what, what's, what's any good sign of somebody who is close to God? Is it the fact that they can exhibit the power of God? Is it that they've heard a voice from heaven? That sounded close. What was it? Character. character, yes. How is that character developed? Through faith. Faith is increased by... Ooh, a prize for the right answer? Um, <coughs> If you read Mark 1.35, you might get the answer. It says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Jesus is authenticated to his disciples by the fact that he has an intimate relationship with with his Father in heaven. 
I know many, well not many, but we've heard of a few famous tele-evangelists who had the power of God running through their lives. They'd heard a word from God for their mission. They were compassionate people and yet they fell over because they lacked an intimate relationship with God the Father. Jesus, there are passages everywhere through the Gospels where Jesus was nowhere to be found and when they finally found him he was in an isolated place praying to the Father. That was what kept him strong. That was the habit that he maintained that kept the power of God flowing in him, that enabled him to exhibit the compassion that God had. It was his intimate relationship with his father. What was the vision that sustained him? It was the vision that there were other people who needed to hear the word of God. He didn't, get compl- he didn't hang around in the village because everybody wanted him. They'd all seen Jesus heal them. And so they wanted him to stay around and heal everything. They wanted him to stay around and answer all their prayers, uh, perform miracles for their, for their slightest whim. Does it sound like any Christians you might know? Yeah. Jesus, hang around, heal me, prosper me. I, I, you know, I pray for a new house, I pray for a new job. And Jesus is saying, who are you, who are you spreading the word to? He says... We must go to other towns as well and I will preach to them too. This is why I came. All of those things. A call from God. The power of God. The love of God. Even an intimate relationship with God. All for the purpose of going out and showing that love to people who haven't heard or seen or experienced that love before. So this has repercussions for us. Who knows what repercussions are? It's nothing to do with the drums. That's just percussion. But repercussions means that it it has a flow-on effect. That if we actually accept something, if we accept that Jesus has positioned us to preach the gospel to unsaved people, what does that mean? It means that we should actually preach the gospel to unsaved people damn i wish i hadn't found that out means i have to do something we actually have to go out and and show the compassion and love of god to people who who probably don't deserve it i mean we don't so why should they but god gave it to us so we should show we should show them god's love as well and he anointed us he's i mean we know that the bible tells us that when jesus went to heaven he said look i've done miracles on this earth but I'm going to tell you, you're going to do greater things than I am. It's like, oh. Now we know that. That puts a responsibility on me to actually have the faith to actually go and show people the power of God. Oh, it's a bit challenging. Do I really want to do that? I don't feel I'm strong enough. Aha! You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. But if you have an intimate relationship with your Father in heaven, guess who is strong enough? He is. And if we take His Spirit along, if we rely on His strength, His knowledge, His ways, guess what? We don't have to rely on our strength at all. Does anybody feel good about that? So, we can see here that Mark's Gospel is starting to present overwhelming evidence for Jesus being who he claimed to be. 
the Son of God. Yes. Who likes it when you get evidence like that? And we can see that Mark is building a picture. And don't forget that the Gospels were written by the Gospel writers based on the, the main revelation they got out of their experience with Jesus. And so Mark's got this, you know, he was the Son of God. I just want you to get the fact that he was the Son of God. I'll sh- I've given you this, this line of evidence. And the reason that we need to understand that Jesus was the Son of God was that when he left this earth and sent the Holy Spirit, he, he, his merely being the Son of God has repercussions. I hesitate to use that word because it's got lots of syllables. Um, consequent that's nearly as bad there are things we have to do because we know he's building a picture of how we need to be a reflection of the God we serve we must acknowledge first of all the authority of God in our lives we must we are called to demonstrate God's power we are called to demonstrate God's love and we are called to have an intimate relationship with our God because otherwise the first three are impossible. The first step in all of that is to actually acknowledge the power of God in our lives. To do that, we've actually got to acknowledge that God needs to be in our lives. That's the first step for anything when it comes to being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to issue an invitation this morning. If you're somebody here this morning and you have never acknowledged the power of God in your life, you've thought, okay, I'm a nice person. I can be good to people. I can show love to people. I can even have a desire to heal people. But unless you have that power of God in your life, you're going to struggle to do any of those things. And yet, all we have to do is accept that God is the power in our life. But he doesn't come into our life without an invitation. And all that takes is for us to humble ourselves to say, okay, I can't do it in my strength. I need you in my life, God. I need you. And that means I am prepared to accept you as my Lord and as my Saviour. I mean, we don't mind being saved. Imagine you're drowning in the ocean and a lifesaver comes along and he saves you. When he gets to shore, you're likely to say something corny like, you're a lifesaver. (laughs) Or, you saved my life, I am grateful. And when we acknowledge Jesus as our saviour, we are grateful to him. But imagine if a lifesaver saved you and you got got on the beach and and then said, I saved your life, now you need to do what I tell you. We'd be a little offended. You're just a flaming lifesaver. Why am I going to listen to you? But when we're saved by Jesus Christ, we actually acknowledge him not just as a lifesaver, but as a Lord, an authority, the person we look to in our life for all we need. He is our Lord and our Saviour. And that's why he never forces himself into our lives. He never says, look, I want to be boss. I want you to do everything I tell you, so you're not going to have any choice in the matter. He says, look, my ways are above your ways. What I desire for your life is far greater than you could ever 
Imagine if you will submit to my leadership, but you have to make that choice. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour, we also accept him as our Lord. And that's a big responsibility. But he takes it seriously and our lives change when that happens. Because in humbling ourselves, we are actually lifted up to a new level of life with him. So I want to invite you this morning. If you're somebody here and you've never invited the authority, the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ into your life, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask everybody just to close their eyes. And while everyone's eyes closed, if that's you, or perhaps you may have made that decision before, but you know that you haven't, you haven't made him Lord in your life. God accepts repentant people back all the time. What I want you to do in a moment is to put your hand up so that I can see it. And I'll acknowledge that. You can put it down again. And then I'll ask you to pray a prayer with me, inviting Jesus into your heart. And that's your first step to allowing him to become your saviour and your Lord. So while all eyes are closed, if that's you this morning, you want to accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning, just raise your hand so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge it and you can pop it down. And we can pray for anybody at all here who would like to take that step. Fabulous, you guys can open your eyes. One of the things about the power of God that we read about in Mark here is that he healed the sick. If you're here this morning and you have sickness in your body, your spirit, your mind, whatever it is, I believe the power of God is here to heal that this morning. And can, perhaps if I can get everybody to stand. And I don't have any healing power of my own. But I have faith that Jesus said if you lay hands upon the sick and have faith that they will get well, they will. So if you're, if you're prepared to believe for a healing for your sickness this morning, I want to invite you out onto this altar right now. Come forward, I'm going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray together. For that sickness we're going to believe that Jesus has something for you that Jesus can heal you that the Holy Spirit is working in your life even now as we speak